On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. You know, it's one of the things that creates very successful family businesses. Planning for a business transition or succession is fundamental for success. Seminars on the topic are scheduled for the coming week. And in our business profile segment, we'll hear about a business that continues to grow, printing some treasured books for American families. This is the Iowa Business Report for the third weekend of May 2021. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. It's a saying that has been famously attributed over time to the likes of Benjamin Franklin and Winston Churchill. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And nowhere is that truer than when you are looking to transition your business, either to a broader ownership or to a new generation of family. Tom Hubler of Hubler for Business Families, based in the Twin Cities, will be one of the speakers at the next Family Business Forum Breakfast Series event presented by Advance Iowa. It's called Getting Started with Governance, and it's coming up on Friday, May 21st at 8 a.m. Tom Hubler noted some key things that are required when the topic of governance comes up. I think the first thing to consider is the importance of of having a plan. And um, most family businesses are busy doing whatever they do and forget about the importance of having a plan. And there are four plans that you need to have in place in a family-owned business. And the first is an ownership plan, which includes governance. The second is management and leadership, which includes what I call the the last challenge of entrepreneurship. The third plan is a business plan. And when you have an owner entrepreneur, they can get by very easily without having any kind of a formal plan. But when you have multiple family members involved in a business, it's important to have a business plan so people don't argue on a daily basis about what the plan is. And then the last plan, and one of the ones that's the most important plan, is a family plan about how you're going to be a family without the undue influence of the business so that business and financial differences don't erode family relationships. And when I taught at the University of St. Thomas, I used to say all the time, business and financial differences will erode your family relationship unless you're proactive and positive. And I've converted that into the importance of building the emotional equity of the family while you're simultaneously building the equity of the company. So those are the four plans. The issue, from my perspective, is the overlap between the family and the business system. And if you can think about this as circles, you have a family circle and a business circle. And if you work in a publicly traded company, they're separate. But in a family-owned business, those circles are overlapped. And the degree to which they're overlapped determines whether or not they're successful or their failures. And as you probably know, one-third of the businesses make it to the second generation and only about 23% make it to the third generation. And it has to do with this overlap. And I say to clients, what we need to do here to create a balance between these two systems is to have structure and formality. And clients say, Tom, we don't need all that structure and formality because we love each other. And I say, it's because you love each other that you need structure and formality. So that's a lot of what I do is to help family businesses develop the necessary structure and formality to help them be successful both on the business side of the equation as well as on the family side. To me, it almost is true regardless of the family standpoint, if what you have as the genesis of the business is a sole entrepreneur who has an idea, grows a business, 
and they're not used to accounting to anyone else, perhaps a spouse, that's it. And so now right. all of a sudden, they have to think more broadly and cannot just make a decision without this additional consultation. That would be true in any business, but again, lay this concept of family on top of it, exponentially more difficult. And what you're talking about now, from my perspective, is control. The reason owner entrepreneurs are so successful, in part, has to do with the fact that they're in control. But that's their Achilles heel also, because in order to do what we were talking about earlier around succession planning, you have to involve other members of the family. You have to involve your advisors. And that's a really challenging thing for them to do because they've been so successful usually, and they've brought the business to a certain level. Now we're talking about how do we transfer it to the next generation? Well, holy smokes, you're asking me to give up control? You're asking me to leave? You're asking me to give up what I've done for 30 or 40 years? Are you kidding me? You're out of your mind. <laughs> that type of thing. Well, and I imagine also we often talk about the senior generation having a hard time letting go. It's got to be difficult for the junior generation when it may be siblings working together or even just one individual. They're used to dad or mom being not just the parental superior figure, but also the boss. Right. Might be a little hard for them to operate either with the shadow if it's not right. properly set forth. But just, again, the, the dynamic. We know from a family standpoint, it's tough when the child, in essence, becomes the parent in right. senior years. It's the same thing at the business, isn't it? It's true. And it's like the, one of the issues that you've just alluded to is this issue of competition between the younger generation adult children in, in terms of their roles. You know, there's the ordinal position in families. And what happens when the third or fourth child is the one who's the has got the most talent in terms of running the business. And the oldest one says, well, wait a second, I was here first and, and so forth and so on. And, and then you've got adult children in the business and adult children out of the business. And the kids on the outside are saying, well, wait a second, how come you've got that fancy car? You know, what's going on down there? <laughs> and so this issue of money and in order to do the succession planning that we're talking about now, you have to be able to talk about two of the three most difficult things to talk about in our culture. You have to be able to talk about money which is very difficult to talk about. And, and implicitly, you're talking about the death of the senior generation, and nobody wants to talk about that. Is that why it is so important for a business to consult someone like yourself who does this on a regular basis to not only help them put a structure in place, but to sort of be the one to absorb any negativity or criticism? Right. Well, it's easier to fire somebody like me than it is to fire anybody in the family. I mean, you're not going to do that if you're a family member, but you can get rid of me yeah. and or anybody like me who makes these outrageous suggestions about what they need to do. And one of the ways to, to manage this that I was talking about earlier in terms of structure and formality, and one of the things that's characteristic of family businesses that you know basically outperform the Standard & Poor's 500 is having regular family meetings. And family meetings are designed to deal with and to manage the boundary between your business and your family relationship. So having regular family meetings, and by regular, I'm talking about two or three meetings a year, basically to you know begin to manage that boundary and make sure that the shareholders are able to communicate to the board what they expect and have the board hire and fire people in the company to manage the company and so forth. And one of the big issues is in a family business, many times, basically people have all of those roles. And so they have to turn their hat around. 
Am I making these comments as a family member or as an employee? And I was having a meeting earlier this week with a family where that's an issue. So that somebody, an employee, one of the sons in the business makes comments to other people he reports to and puts on his owner hat or his shareholder hat and says, well, wait a minute, I don't have to do that. I'm a shareholder, you know, that type of thing. Well, that's the sort of stuff that disrupts family businesses and causes them to be unsuccessful. And you need those family meetings, but they should not be convened during Thanksgiving dinner. You need to no, have no, a very no, no. purposeful schedule. And, and often people just get together at holidays. Right. That's exactly the wrong scene because you're blurring too much, right? I mean, you've got the family celebration, if you will, and then you bring in all of the trouble from work and it ruins both. It does. And it's basically a good example of where business differences and business issues that are normal erode family relationships. And what happens is that family members who are not active in the company, when those things occur, feel left out of the family as if the business was the family. So it's a double whammy. So when we're talking about governance, we're talking about something that needs to be done regardless of what business you're talking about, regardless of where you are at in the life of the business, closer to transition to another generation or farther away. So it's important in any context, but it's especially important because of these particular dynamics. What are the things that people who are brilliant business people still get wrong when it becomes family governance? The issue here is, you know, as I said earlier, is to have a plan. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you need to have is an ownership plan, which includes this issue of governance, which includes, you know, an estate plan. It includes a plan to create a board of directors. And now legally, every company has a board of directors for the most part. But if you're an entrepreneurial business, you can get by without having a board of directors. But the issue here and the question here is, how do you replace the entrepreneur? Well, from my perspective, they're irreplaceable. So what you have to do is come up with a new system. And the new system is a governance system and a board of directors with outside advisory members, not necessarily legal members, but advisory members. You know, it's one of the things that creates very successful family businesses. That's one of the characteristics of best practices family businesses is they have a board of directors with outside advisory members. Tom Hubler, one of the speakers at the Family Business Forum Breakfast Series event next Friday, May 21st, presented by Advance Iowa. We connected via Zoom on Friday, May 7th. Learn more about the event at AdvanceIowa.com. And learn more about Mr. Hubler's work at hublerfamilybusiness.com. Still to come, we'll profile an independence-based printer sending its products across the country. And we'll tell you how we come up with those business profile stories. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa. If business succession planning is on your mind, consider a worker co-op. The next free seminar on the topic is this coming Wednesday, May 19th. For more, go to AdvanceIowa.com. Typically, the closing segment of our program each week is what we call a business profile, talking with the owner or manager of a company doing business in Iowa. It can be anything ranging from a large manufacturer to a sole proprietor, multi-generation family-owned company to a brand new startup. The ideas for what businesses we profile come from a variety of sources. Sometimes it's a person or business I know from past experience. 
Sometimes the partners who have provided support for this radio program make a suggestion. Radio stations like the one you're listening to now at times recommend businesses they've had on their airwaves. And we've even had some businesses contact us directly to see if we're interested in sharing their story. In short, they come from a variety of sources. But regardless of the source, a couple of things are true for all of those business profile segments. No one pays for an interview. These are not paid advertisements, and no one associated with this radio program receives any benefit from a business that is profiled. The business also does not get to control what questions are asked or get to hear the interview before you hear it on the radio. And it is not our role to provide endorsements or recommendations about any of the businesses we talk about. We ask them their story and share it with you. That's all. If one of these businesses has a product or service that interests you, you should check the business out for yourself, just as you would any business you patronize. We love to share these business profiles and wanted you to know how we come up with them and encourage you to do your own due diligence if you're interested in engaging in a business relationship with them. Coming up, we'll tell you what's cooking in independence. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa and its Family Business Forum, presenting another event in the Breakfast Series on Friday, May 21st, focusing on the essentials of family governance. To learn more or to register, go to AdvanceIowa.com and click on Family Business Forum. We were made aware recently of the growth of a business known as Cookbook Specialists based in Independence, Iowa. As I learned when I talked with owner Sherry Hartkemeyer, these publications are not only still popular, they've gotten even more popular during the pandemic. The business currently is a commercial printing company, which is Print Express, and then we have the cookbook division, which is Cookbook Specialist, and that is compiled from Brennan Printing, GNR Publishing, and now Jumbo Jacks. They were all cookbook printers, and we've merged them under the Print Express umbrella. But how I got started in printing was totally by accident. I um, was going to Kirkwood in Cedar Rapids, and I had to do an internship in um, a printing company had an opening and I was a secretary there and I love math. So it just kind of evolved from there. I kind of worked my way up through the ranks there and did estimating for them. And then I had an opportunity to, to work for a couple other printing companies in Cedar Rapids that were various sizes, like a quick printer, which was pip printing and then Cornerstone Press. And I finished at Cedar Graphics. So I learned a wide variety of things as far as how to work with small jobs all the way up to the really large jobs. In 2003, the opportunity arose for me to buy my own business here in Independence, which was Print Express. It had been started by Janet Short in 1995, and then I bought it in 2003, and we've just kind of evolved from there. This is a specialty or a niche. And I'm intrigued at the fact that this seems to still be going pretty successfully at a time when so many things are on our phones or are digital. Is there something about cookbooks as a genre that for all of the wonderful technology, 
we still want to have a good old cookbook propped up there on the counter? Yes, definitely. And I think a lot of it comes from families like to pass down their legacies. When we're cooking, a lot of times it's the older generations that are cooking. And we still like to have that hard copy in front of us. But we've also found that even the younger people who use their tablets and phones for everything still prefer to have cookbooks that they know are tried and true recipes from generations that have been passed down. And they know that they can find that in printed copies. That's why the cookbooks are still very popular in print. And I imagine if you're elbow deep in a project, you don't want that screen to go blank on you in the middle of a pivotal part. You want to see what you're doing. So who puts cookbooks together these days? I know sometimes they're fundraisers, sometimes families may want to do it to honor a matriarch, et cetera. But who comes to see you and, and says, I'd like to put together a cookbook? Well, we have a wide variety. It is families. We have a lot of Amish customers. The benefit to them is that we can type in their recipes and format it for them, or we have the website where people can type in their own recipes. But we also have world-renowned chefs that have come to us, like Chef Jimmy Kenora in New York. We have Chef Daniel Thomas from Washington, D.C. We have Hoyt Tidwell from Tennessee and Miss Dana Carter in Tennessee. So it's a wide variety. We also have a lady that is Jewish in New York, and she did a cookbook that was gluten-free, kosher, vegan, you know, and it's all soups. So it's really a wide variety of people who come to us, and, and that's what makes it fun. You just don't know what they're going to produce, do you, when someone calls, and how do they find you? Have you developed such a niche, and again, by growing your company regionally, through these smaller companies, do you now have, I guess, a reputation for quality service, efficiency, economy of scale that lets you be successful and perpetuate this niche market going forward? Yes. And the smart thing that all of the cookbook companies have done from day one is put their name either on the back cover of the cookbook or somewhere within the cookbook So that say, for instance, you know, my church did one and it said Brennan Printing or GNR Publishing or Jumbo Jacks in there. And I decide I want to do one for my family. Then I can open that cookbook and get a hold of us to work on the cookbook. And that's fascinating. I suppose even if it was one of those prior companies imprints, if I search for that, that will lead me to you and I can see who's the successor in interest to these things. I know for many people, this has been a time where they stayed home instead of going out four and five nights a week. They wanted just to keep things interesting, so they wanted to cook different sorts of meals. Is there renewed interest, in other words, in this type of publication as we're coming out of COVID, as we've hunkered down for the past year? Yes, absolutely. We saw a steady growth starting in like July Because more people are staying home and dining at home, they are wanting to have good recipes to pull from, or it has given them time to collect recipes and put together cookbooks that when they're working all the time, they didn't have time to work on before. And then there's also some that their favorite recipes that are at restaurants that they've gone to, and they'd like to get those. So 
you know, it's just been a combination, but it's interesting how we are busier now probably than we've been in many, many years, which is great. And again, you've mentioned Jumbo Jacks. This is a new acquisition. So your company is growing internally, but you're also then adding these existing good named businesses. Is it a matter that then their staff stays where it is to a large degree, or do you move everything to where you are, or does it depend on what company you're acquiring? When we acquired Brennan Printing, they were here in Independence at the time, so that was an easy transition. When we purchased GNR Publishing, they were in Waverly, so we have two ladies that work from their homes in Waverly, and they do the customer service and layout of the cookbooks. And then we print and produce everything in independence. And the same with Jumbo Jacks. They were in Audubon, Iowa. And so we hired their manager. She's been in printing 25 years. And she's going to work remotely from an office over in Audubon doing the customer service and sales. And then, again, we'll produce and ship everything from the independence facility. So you're able to retain some of the heritage of those original businesses while still making it more efficient with the single printing operation closer to your home base. Right, absolutely. And the the nice part also is if customers have printed cookbooks with any of the three companies in the past, we have the files. So if they want to place a reorder, we can take care of a reorder for them so they don't lose out on all that work that they put into it the first time around. Sherry Hartkemeyer of Cookbook Specialists, a division of Print Express in Independence. We connected via Zoom on Thursday, May 6th. You can learn more at cookbookspecialists.com. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program. They're listed as IBR Extras and IBR Business Profiles. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, including Google, Alexa, Apple, and Stitcher. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.